Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, August 23rd, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, Kelly fills us in on what happened during her 48-hour Pandacodium weekend hackathon, including first impressions of Red Hat's OpenShift cloud platform, PubSub in Ruby with Faye, and oh, so much more. <laughs> <laughs> Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. <laughs> nice. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that you managed to say 23rd, 2013 on the first try. Yeah. I uh, Halfway through, I was like, oh, that was tricky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably not even the 23rd on Friday. But, oh, it is good. Uh, oh, good. Yes, dear listener, there's a very, very real danger that you're going to listen to 45 minutes of snoring. Yeah. It's late, and we're sleepy. Yes. yes I, have, I have slept off and on all day, and I just want to crawl back into bed. Yeah. Well, we can't do that just yet, because we've got to update folks about what happened with Pandacodium. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was Sunday. I made an app. Yes. And it was called Maple Meat. Maple Meat. meat. <laughs> okay, before we go into the whole story about maple meat you have to explain the name the name um um it is it's a meetup site sort of for organizing and um creating and organizing board gaming events and if you're for for those who are not avid board gamers and not familiar with the term the the little little wooden um person shaped pieces that you get with various board games um, as tokens to represent your your players are called meeples. <laughs> they called meeples by whom? Um, that's just like in the dictionary. That's what they yeah, are. You just like well, not in the dictionary, but it. I, I don't think it's an official name, but it's a, a commonly community like like everyone like who has been in the in the board gaming hobby for any length of time has probably heard the term you know, meeple. <laughs> so now we're we talking like Parcheesi guy or does this also include like the shoe from Monopoly? Uh I don't know if you would call the shoe a meeple. Okay. Um I typically think of them as like the little wooden person shaped pieces. Right. Like the um oh, like Carcassonne, for instance, is a good example. It's got a lot of meeple. <laughs> it's very meeply. It's very meeply. <laughs> For the meeple, by the meeple, something. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, There's a friends Romans countryman joke in there somewhere. Something, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was trying to get to it, but it's too late. <laughs> yeah, you get the idea. Insert joke here. Um. Okay, so that makes sense. So it's the the concept is like uh, a meetup app for people who are into board games. Yes. And so from a sort of technology standpoint, uh, I'm, I, you went with Rails, I assume. Or yes, I, know. I did. Yeah. So what was the, I've never done a weekend hackathon. Can you kind of take us through like the way that at least this one in particular worked? Yeah. And actually the way it worked was pretty, pretty similar to others I've done. And it's, <laughs> uh, basically you can do all of your planning and and kind of paper sketches and things like that beforehand and gather up any sort of any sort of open source libraries you want to use and that kind of stuff but the actual creation of of artwork and um uh code and and that sort of stuff has to has to take place during the the 48 hour period hmm it makes sense and, and was it, it just all individuals or was teams, right? Uh, there was a lot of teams or there was a lot of individuals and there were teams as well of teams of like up to four people. Hmm. All right. And everybody has like a, a public repo in a particular place, I think. Uh, yeah, they actually, actually they're private repos and the, the organizers of the, the, the hackathon provide the repos and then you just like, like push into those. Cool. And maybe we're going to get into this, but how is the how does the deployment happen so that people so that the judges can judge it or like how does that work? Yeah, um, in this case, uh, usually 
the ones I've done before, um, Linode has, has donated hosting. And in this particular one, uh, Red Hat was donating uh, some hosting. Mm-hmm. And you just, it's up to you to set up the server and set up your stack and deploy your code. And uh, just the, the organizers have access to everything via SSH. Gotcha. Interesting. And, and then, and y- then once it's yeah, sorry. And then once it's up, you can't um, you, know, you can't go in and and change any code or do anything like that until after the judging period is over. Oh, so so you do like one final push to the hosting environment. Yeah. So you weren't doing dev on that environment too. Uh no, I wasn't. Yeah, interesting. So that so given that it's a given that it wasn't like a environment that you were necessarily too familiar with that I've imagined that, you know, how do you know how much time to leave for that at the end? I usually start there. Meaning? Meaning, uh, usually I just, I go in and I set up my server environment first. Oh, I thought you said that, I thought you said that you just do it once at the end. Oh, no, I mean, I go in and I'll go in and I'll set up the server environment and I'll just, I'll push to it along the way. Okay. Just to kind of test things as I go. Oh, okay, I thought I thought you were saying that you're only allowed to do it once. That makes more sense. Oh no, no, no you, huh. have, you have access to it the, you know, the whole time. Yeah, okay. I was going to say that's kind of a crapshoot. No, yes, no, that would be awful. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see. So we're, I I almost want to jump right into the awful, which is <laughs> I guess putting the cart before the horse a little bit. But um, you know, I guess Red Hat was sponsoring the thing, and they were trying to get devs to uh, try out this OpenShift kind of cloud platform AWS type competitor thing. Yes. And uh, which is a, a smart idea. It is, and I was—I'd actually been interested in trying it for some time now, so I was kind of excited about that. Mm. Uh, but it didn't turn out so great. No. <laughs> <laughs> So can you, so, you know, I have no experience with it whatsoever. The only thing I know about it is, is the sort of ranty, you know, IMs that I got (laughs) over the weekend. So I know you didn't like it. My my lack of sleep, highly caffeinated, overtired, frustration emails. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I definitely, uh, definitely got a sense that it's not going to replace AWS. Not for me. Not, not for us. <laughs> no. Um, so can you kind of, con- you know, like, I suppose people um, are, if they're familiar with anything, it's probably uh, Amazon. So if you could yes. kind of compare it to that, then maybe it would be give yeah, people yeah, a feel. I'll, I'll, I'll compare what I can. It's probably worth mentioning that I didn't have access to any sort of web-based control panel. Mm-hmm. Um, the the event organizers had all of that stuff, and basically what they had done would be like to like create the equivalent of like an EC2 instance, mm-hmm. or and and then I could also go in and, and add, you know, I could create like a, a database, and that's database what, instance and, and that sort of stuff. Okay, you do yeah. all, from, all from the command line, <clears throat> and that was so, and you would do that right on the instance as opposed to like an RDS type of thing. Um, well, I don't, I, well, I guess that, I guess, I guess I shouldn't say they created an instance. They created an account for me okay. that I assuming was, was under their account. And then I would use the command line tools in the account to create like a, a they call them cartridges. Mm-hmm. Um, create a, I created a, a web server one and then also a, a database one. Oh, okay, cool. So it is like a, an AWS account that has all, you, you know, different yeah. pieces that yeah. you kind of put together. Yeah. And, uh, what I found, um, there were there were things about it that I liked and things about it that I didn't. Um, sort of provisioning provisioning things from the command line and 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 all of that was was really easy to do. The actual deployment process itself was really easy to do. Um, basically, you just uh, you would deploy to this very similar to how you deploy to Heroku, mm-hmm. in that you just push your code to it and it does all of its automated stuff and it's done and it's and it's up and it's deployed so did they so i'm guessing you didn't really have a choice of like an ami it had some kind of it already chose that for you there were a few different options but they were like for different stacks there was a ruby one and a node one and and that sort of stuff as far as the technology on their ruby cartridge i i did not have an option and what it was uh was nginx and passenger Mm mm-hmm 
So it's kind of like, um, okay, well, that does sound kind of attractive as long as that's what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, and and it would have been fine, but where where I ran into problems was uh, I could I could SSH in and I could do a limited amount of things. I didn't have any kind of uh, sudo or access. I couldn't get to and configure any of the nginx or passenger configuration. Mm. And that was that was really where I ran into the problem because what I wanted to do, um, I also you know I wanted to run a a second sort of application server there as well, mm-hmm. and um, I couldn't open another port. I couldn't. Um, there were there were no available public ports that I could bind to. Uh, that I could bind this this additional server to mm-hmm. and I couldn't open one and I couldn't configure any kind of proxy settings through nginx or anything like that for it so that that was really where I ran into issues with it yeah that's super frustrating yeah it sounds like a, it sounds like it's sort of you know it certainly could be just the I mean I don't know how much of it is attributable to the fact that you know maybe the competition had a certain like setup that they were allowed to use or if it's always kind of sandbox like that from from what we read um because i did a lot of a lot of reading trying to fix this and and (laughs) the event organizers tried to help me fix it for several hours and from from what we all came up with that's that's pretty much just the way the service is Mm. so wow yeah that's frustrating it's like the the cartridge is designed to do one thing and one thing and exactly one thing right and then if you want to if you want to run additional services you have to pay for more cartridges right. <laughs> but um you know in in my particular instance instance i needed i needed both things on on the same same ip address so hmm. interesting well that's uh that's that's certainly helpful you know if you it's it's almost like if you want a teeny little heroku that you spin up yourself kind of thing it's, it would be great for something like that. Yeah. If you uh, if you're doing something more complicated where you have to run additional additional processes and additional servers and things like that, then you're either going to need to scale it up, which means pay more money, or you're going to have to find another provider. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a classic case of like, you know, it's really easy to use if you want to do exactly what we think you want to do. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to do anything else, it doesn't work or it's going to cost you a ton of money or it's really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds like it sounds no. sort of inflexible, but if it's exactly what you need, then it might be good. Yeah, if it's exactly what you need, I think it would work really well, but it's, it, it felt very limited to me. Yeah. How often is, how often is anything exactly what you need? Yeah. So, so, the thing I like about AWS though, is you can make it exactly what you need. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like you know, there's a dec- there's a uh, better than decent learning curve with AWS. It's, it's yeah. called a significant learning curve. Yes. I need a I needed like a uh, an AWS sh- Sherpa to kind of walk me through <laughs> every time I had a question when I was starting out because the yeah. the wizards and the control panels have like a million controls and you're like, I don't know what the ramification of choosing any of these are. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could yeah. choose any one of these, and I don't know what any of them mean. I was I was trying to help a friend set up AWS an AWS account for the first time a couple of about a month ago now, and he was going, "This is the most unintuitive you know, web interface I've ever used." Yeah, it's really it's it's not it's funny because I'm so used to it now that I'm like it's awesome. Yeah, and they're they're slowly redesigning bits of it, and every time they do, I, I have to hunt for things again. Yeah, yeah, it definitely needs a facelift, and they are slowly giving it one. But it's still like, like there are a lot of controls, and mm-hmm. the implication of you know one option over another is far from obvious. Yeah. So. Especially when you get into things like security and group policies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was just gonna say like, um, yeah, we don't really need to go into that, I suppose. But it, it's there's a significant learning curve with just getting a regular instance up and like and like getting a web server going on it because you're like like you you know like you said you set up a security policy which is kind of like uh it's kind of like a a firewall concept 
Yeah. But it's not for a particular instance. You set it up as a generic firewall concept and then you and then you then you assign it to other instances. Right, which is awesome, but you don't th- you don't think like that at first. Yeah. <laughs> at first you're looking around like, how come I can't connect to the goddamn web server? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then if yeah, yeah, and then the the DNS, their DNS hosting could be a little like the same way. <laughs> it's kind of like, what am I doing? That. Yeah, is it what's that called cloud uh, uh, root route oh, yeah. root fifty six or fifty three yeah fifty three root fifty three yeah I've never used that. Um, we used it we used it on superstitiously, which is which is down at the moment. <laughs> um, we used it on that, and that was the first time I'd used it, and it, it, it was funny because it, it all worked on the first try, but it was so confusing, and I had to wait for things to resolve that I was just sitting there going. Is this right, or is it just not propagated yet, or is it wrong, or is it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's worth figuring out. Yeah. But uh, it takes some figuring out. Yeah, I don't think I could, don't think I could do the DNS again without, without looking it up a second time, but, yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so that was the, that's sort of like the hosting uh, option for uh, the competition, and I I know that you ended up throwing your hands up and um, and basically I assume you put it on AWS, right? I did, I did. Yeah. So basically, gave up on the competition, but the app's done, so I got to host it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, basically, and um, I don't know. I mean, I'm still I'm still getting. I'm still getting reviews on my site or on on their page from the judges, but I don't know if I'll be eligible for any kind of prizes because I'm not, you know, because I did end up putting out on, on a different host. So, mm. <laughs> right. but um, you know, I I I told them I was like, you know, I, I and, and it's funny because in the end I ended up not needing to because I ran into other problems, and the the thing I was trying to do on um on Redhead I ended up not doing anyway, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so <laughs> and that's one, what it's like coding for two days straight over the weekend yes without any sleep <laughs> yeah one of one of the particular requirements of of this competition was that you needed some kind of some kind of real-time client server communication oh okay. which is just one of the things that they that they wanted to wanted to include and uh, you know, I couldn't really think of a whole lot for this, but also at the same time, I really wanted to build this app. So mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, I'm just going to build it anyway, and I'll find something and stick in there." <laughs> right, right. And so what I was going to do um, in the in the meetup pages, uh, like I've got I've got some stuff when you're when you're um, signing up to join events and that kind of thing. And I was going to have I was going to add um, add a chat component in there in the in the meetup meetup pages, mm-hmm. and. Um, with like a, and I was gonna use, uh, there's a, a Ruby uh, pub sub server called Faye that I was mm. gonna use for that. And that's F A Y E. Yes. All right. So can you, is it is it, it's, Ruby or Node? Uh there are both options available. I think I happen to be using the Ruby. Gotcha. Server. And, and it, I was. And the concept of it, I. Th- I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is to kind of create a, a comet-like experience, like a long polling Ajax experience, where the server can kind of push notifications to you, or you can push notifications through the server to another peer. Uh, it uses WebSockets, I believe. Does it really? I think it has a long polling fallback if it's not if it's not supported, but I believe it's it's WebSocket server. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, so because the thing I read was probably not about Faye. I think I clicked through to the background protocol, which is Bayou or mm. something. Mm. When I was quickly researching for the show, but um, uh, so so if it's using WebSockets, but it's it'd be talking to the server or peer to peer. It's to the server. Okay, okay, so same difference basically. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I was using with that. I was using uh, a gem that Ryan Bates um, wrote called uh, Private Pub, which just allows for some, some easier integration with that into into your Rails application. Mm. And it worked beautifully in, in development 
but I was not able to get it up and running uh, in production. Mm. And where were you doing development? Uh, just on my local computer. Right. So on my iMac. Right. So, it, like, right away, it, one would suspect firewall settings or... Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I installed the gym. I installed the gym and started it up, and everything worked perfectly. And I pushed it to production, and I kept getting connection errors. And I even went into EC2 and, and just kind of opened up everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and went into that aforementioned security group and opened up every port I could, mm-hmm. and but I I still couldn't get it open and I was just I was running out of time to to continue to troubleshoot it, so I like I did basically end up rewriting that bit of it myself to do like long polling instead of using Fay, right. just so I could have it finished um for the competition. But I do want to go back and try and, and get Fay working on an on an uh, EC2 instance. Mm. So what does it do? Like puke out a bunch of JavaScript and like a widget? Uh, it pukes out like a bunch of JavaScript and then, yeah, like yeah, basically, hmm. basically that's that's what the gem does. Is the gem sort of creates? Well, the gem gives you you know the an easy way to include the Fay JavaScript in your application, and then it gives you uh, methods in your controllers that you can use to publish to the the Fay server from your Rails from your controller in your Rails application that then gets pushed back to the client mm, via okay. that, you know, that JavaScript. Right. That makes sense. Jeez, that's super wacky. I always, I always have like a tough time. So it reminds me of when, um, when I first started working with offline web apps, it took me like a good couple <laughs> weeks before I could start thinking about it. Right. Because I would always be like, "Oh, well, I'll just get that from the server." No, oh, no, you're <laughs> offline. Like, no, what do I, you're offline. What do I like? How do I do? Th- like, what do I do? Yeah. You yeah. know, and uh, it, it just like completely blew my mind. All same thing with um, with CSS animations. Like switching over from doing that with CSS instead of JavaScript mm-hmm. was like such a mind bender. Yeah, and I I get that same feeling. I'm not over that hump yet with like. Um, this sort of like peer-to-peer real-time web stuff on the server side. I'm like, how do it know who to send the <laughs> message to? Why doesn't yeah. it send it to everyone who's connected, you know? And uh, it's just different instances for each connection, but I just, I haven't, I haven't written one yet, so I can't, I haven't quite got my, uh, I haven't got like it internalized in terms of like how the whole thing works. Yeah, when when you had me writing one um, a, a long time ago for for Rabble, mm. the uh, creating creating the different channels to send to um, that kind of stuff was it it was a big a big mental hurdle for me mm. too. And that was one of the things I really liked about Faye was it made it made it super easy to create like individual individual channels that that people could then subscribe to or and then that you could publish to. Yeah, it's such a different. I feel like it so breaks the uh, stateless notion of web yeah. browsing that it's like it's just like a whole. It's almost like a whole di- different model, or maybe it actually is a whole different model. I'm not yeah. sure. It just feels like really weird. Yeah, it's it's definitely definitely very different to code for. It's something that I do need to get my head around because um, WebRTC is kind of in that same family of things mm-hmm. and it has this bizarre uh, sort of architecture for how to make connections peer to peer because it involves this weird server stuff for discovery. It's super weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I'm using a piece of, I'm trying to use a piece of web RTC for, uh, for to allow people to create recordings for spoken. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I was about about to say it just sounds like something we'll use in spoken. Yeah, it's not. It's not. uh, I I don't think we'll need any need to use anything in the at least in the near term that's actually peer to peer. I just want to use it to get access to the microphone. Yeah, but um, I could imagine a peer to peer version in the future where instead of (laughs) where you actually someone someone requests that something be read and they actually get it read to them in real time by a real person <laughs> and it also records it for anybody else later yeah but uh 
operators are standing by. Exactly. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> How, How much, much would, would you, you expect pay? to pay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So cool. Um, so let's see. So in general, it was a Ruby, uh, sorry, a Rails 4 application. Um, yes. Any other crazy crazy gem stuff that you included or any kind of strange um like authentication apis or any kind of strange uh, oh i did use i did use omni auth for some twitter authentication oh cool I, i meant to i i had wanted to include other oauth providers as well i just ran and and also standalone login i just ran out of time so right now the only way you can log in is through twitter <laughs> mm. but in in the future i will add more but uh i used OmniAuth for for the twitter oauth authentication and it was just it was super easy to do that's cool yeah i mean if you're if you're looking if you're looking to add oauth support to your ruby app and and you know <laughs> that's the way to go yeah yeah, well, we we are, I don't know, it would be interesting to, uh, it's a little bit of a tangent away from the hackathon, but uh, we're working on the authentication for Spoken, or at least we're talking about it, uh, for the Spoken API, and it, one of those, one of my favorite little tweaks came up, which is that, um, uh, you know, we're getting ready to, re- to announce the API to the beta testers in case they want to play around with that while I finish on the the actual Ruby application, sorry, the rails application. And I was like, Oh, we need, you know, we need password reset in the API before anybody can use it. And then, you know, Kelly asks, well, what are like, okay, we can email them a reset link and then they get it in their email and like what click on it and then go to what the API. (laughs) And I was like, Oh wow. The whole, that whole pattern of that sort of email backup, password reset pattern. Yeah, it's completely client side. Completely yeah. a web app yes. concept. Yes. So then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, so I, I automatically didn't want to do that because that's not, you know, an API, like API should be able to be used by anything in the same way. So Yeah, but you also don't want to make people copy that token from their email and make a put request to an API somehow. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that either. So I was like, well, it, almost by definition, you have to do an out-of-band, you know, yeah. dance. So, like, I'm like, all right, how would I do this if it was pure API? Would there be, like, a password reset object and they, or, like, a resource? And you create a new password reset request, and then, it, but then what? It, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> Because the whole thing, the whole thing kind of falls apart because you need to prove who you are without being able to prove who you are. So you're use you basically you're falling back to email as a secondary authentication mechanism, and I kind of hate that. I've always hated that, even in web apps. And uh, I know you, I know you said when we were chatting about it, you're like, ah, eh, who needs password reset? I hardly ever do that. I do it all the time. Oh, do you? Yeah, like my normal login pattern for sites I don't use on a daily basis is go to the login page and immediately reset my password so uh. I don't have to sit there and type in five different passwords to try and guess what it is. So like if I, if I go to a site that I that I so here here's a classic example. I went to uh discuss the other day. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to cuz we were talking about setting it up from the happy pages blah blah blah. And I know I have a discuss password because I've I've, I know I've got discussed comments out there on the internet. Yeah. So I get to the page and it's got login with Facebook, login with Twitter, login with LinkedIn, login with G plus login with your email and password or, or sorry, login with your email or username. I'm like, I have no idea how I authenticated to this thing originally. Yeah. I maybe I use Twitter cause sometimes I do that, but I generally don't. I generally don't like to use any of those because you never know like what they're going to do on your behalf. Mm-hmm. So I general and, and the thing that really kills me about those is like half the time when you do that, then it thing turns around and asks you for your email anyway, which is what you're trying to avoid doing in the first place. Yeah. So that's just ridiculous. So I was like, I'm, I get to the thing and I immediately just, 
uh, type in my email and, and uh, like forgot password. And sure enough, it doesn't have my email. So it's like, oh, there's no, there's no email for that name. Or sorry, there is no, that email is not in our system. So yeah. it's like, I was like, I must have just done a username. And sure enough, that's what it was. So, and I do that all the time, like uh, Wikipedia, Stack Overflow. Uh, there's tons of ones that I log into only very rarely, and I have no idea how I originally logged in. So yeah. I just immediately reset my password every time. Yeah, I, I have I have this like Rain Man ability to remember <laughs> combinations of random strings and, and and numbers and stuff. But how do you know if you didn't? How do you know if you didn't use Facebook or something to log in? Well, for one, I never use Facebook or Twitter, let's say, or GitHub. Uh, if it's GitHub, I probably I'll probably use GitHub if GitHub is available because usually that's it's something like development related. Yeah, like I think Stack so, Overflow offers GitHub yeah. as an OAuth provider. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's just it's never really been an issue. I'm just yeah. gonna go to the site and yeah, I don't know. Just, I, I uh, think it's those, it's my mutant talent. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, that's your that's your superpower. Yeah, I mean I could. <laughs> It's like we went out to eat a while back, and like Richard forgot his wallet at home, and we had no. And it's like, oh well, I'll just tell the guy the credit card number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have my yeah. credit card number memorized. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, no, I can, I can, I can tell you like my my passwords to get onto the university network from like ten years ago. Well, so can I, because I haven't just, changed yeah. them. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just don't, I don't have that problem. It's my, my mutant talent. Yeah, I guess so. Well, uh, dear listener, if you don't have that mutant talent. <laughs> and you, you do need to reset a password through an API. Yeah, you ain't doing it on ours because <laughs> I cannot. So, so then finally I was like, well, wait a second. You know, I literally today just set up a, uh, a, uh, an SES or so on Amazon simple email service account for um for doing this you know and part of that process of setting it up is like they give you um a and a, a, they don't even let you pick it they give you a username and a password and they're like this is your username and password this is your last chance to download this information we will never show yeah. it to you again and if you lose it you're gonna have to create a new one yeah end of story and i'm like why isn't that the way it is you know <laughs> So, I, so I'm, I'm basically like, well, for the API, what if we just do that? What would happen? You know, would would we get deluged with emails of people who forgot their password or looking for the reset? Or, you know, if you have your password, you have permission, you can go in and change it to something else. But if you forget your password, how yeah. do we, like, what do you do? You have to build an entire web application just to handle the fact that somebody might not be able to remember their password. It seems weird. Yeah. Like, there must be some pattern for this and like an arrest an arrest API design. There must be some pat like backup or maybe there isn't, but Yeah, I don't know. It's been it it is. It's it seems like there's no there's no good solution. <laughs> yeah. Except for remember your damn password. Yeah. So and if they don't then it's like all right i need there's basically there are only three ways i can think of to do it one is to um have them give you some secret when they first create the account which then you would have later remember right you'd have to remember that it's kind of like a second password uh with like the reminder thing you know the mother's maiden name thing yeah. and and that's obviously got huge limitations because they could just forget that too um, yeah, it's like, oh, what was your what was your first pet's name? And <laughs> was your who was your favorite teacher? And like, well, yeah. I had a lot of teachers that I really liked. My favorite one is. Did what, I put this one or did I put yeah? My favorite one is what was your what was your high school name? Because my high school name was really long, and I'm like, did I type the whole name yeah. in, or did I did just I type just put the, the common name? Yeah. yeah, Bishop Thomas F. H oh, I probably shouldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I never use it, but it's really long. And yeah. I, so I'm like, well, that it's a, 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 you know, and then you're like, is it case sensitive? <laughs> and 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the case. Sensitivity, sensitivity gets me on these things a lot. I'm like, did I capitalize? Yeah. <laughs> right. And there are initials in my high school name. Did I spell out the whole thing? Did I use initials? Did I put periods between the initials? It's like, come on. Yeah. So that's obviously that's no go. And then the e- then it's like email or phone number. And then when they create an account, then you're forced to validate that piece of information at that time. Otherwise, it's useless, potentially. Yeah. And I'm like, all of this stuff, because the user can't remember their password. And I'm kind of like, well, I want to do the thing that is s- sort of simplest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's like kind of... Become a pattern, obviously. The password reset is definitely a web pattern. But, like, that whole kind of mess that I was just talking about with OAuth and, like, well, which one did I use and all of that stuff, it's supposed to make it easy for people. And maybe it does at first for adoption of an application. You know, you go to a web app and, like, oh, bang, you just click on Facebook and look, I'm in already. It's yeah. got all my profile information. It already has my avatar. And isn't that great? But uh, over time, I find that it, it, for me, I find that it just becomes more and more annoying. Uh, same thing with sites that allow you to use username or uh, email to log in. Yeah. <laughs> you ran into this the other day trying to log into Rails Forum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did this the other day because like, you signed up for a Rails Forum and it, uh, I don't know, I think it must have asked me for my email address and also a username. And then after I signed up, then it sort of redirected me to log in and my browser auto-filled my email into the username field. So I didn't notice that it was only username that was accepted. Yeah. And I think since then, we've actually had people request to make that username or email. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if, if I yeah. hadn't talked, if I didn't have access to you directly, I would have emailed support. Because I thought yeah. it was a bug, and I was like trying to report the bug, when in fact it was not a bug at all. It was user error. So I'm like, well, if we don't allow password reset, we don't need the person's email at all. And I actually find that there's like something beautiful about that, something so super simple that mm-hmm. you create. You don't even need a username for Christ's sake. The only reason you need a username is if you don't want to just have your your like profile at an ID, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So like inside of Spoken, you don't even need a user. You could just be like, here's here's my password, and then it gives you back your user ID, which would be like one, two, three, four, Welcome, five. Welcome, number 12. Right. If you want to replace number 12 with something a little more friendly, you can pick a username and we'll make sure it's unique. And then that's what will show up in the, in your feed URL. Uh, I just feel like the whole thing is in the long run is just simpler. If you're just like, give me a username, give me a password. And that's, and that's all you ever have to remember. There's, Mm -hmm. There's no email. There's no nothing. There's no password reset. If you lose this, then, uh, create a new account basically, you know, but uh, that sounds kind of harsh, but is it really like, what do you, what are you really losing? You're not losing anything. You still can access all your feeds. Yeah. Everything's still, you just lose your username. I'm pretty possessive of my username though. Yeah. So am (laughs) I. That other Kelly Shaver. Yeah. It drives you crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. Like I I didn't get my Skype. I didn't get my Skype, Jonathan Stark, which drives me bananas. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to get angry emails from from the other Kelly Shaver. <laughs> the Kelly with two eyes. I assume she has two eyes. <laughs> but no, when remember when when Facebook first started allowing usernames? Yeah. And you got to pick your username. Yeah. Like, when they first turned on that feature. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That the night other, I stayed up until yeah. midnight to make sure that I got mine. Same here. Same here. And um, the other Kelly Shaver was apparently not not as swift at clicking the mouse as I was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And yeah, I, I got angry messages. Yeah. Yeah, well, too slow. And I've, I've also gotten things off of her Amazon wish list, too. So Nice. I got a nice set of cookware that way once. <laughs> she also she also emailed me once mad because of because I had the domain name, kellyshaver.com, too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but that cookware on your list wish list was really nice. 
<laughs> I got, I bought uh, uh, for Baby 2.0. I <clears throat> we've had her named for a while, and I bought mm-hmm. her domain name like a long time ago. And yeah. another person with that same name has contacted me a couple times to be like, you know, you're not using that domain name for anything and it's my name do you think uh i could have it (laughs) (laughs) i'm like well i swear i'm gonna use it she's not born yet though so yeah not much to put there yeah (laughs) anyway so we're we're sort of off in the weeds but um uh i don't know it remains to be seen what we're gonna do about it because the the thing that i fear is that we just get a lot of email that people are like i lost my password and I can't find yeah. the reset button. And then we say there is no reset button. And they say, I mean, well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other option is to say, oh, I lost my password. And then it emails you a new password. And then the next time you log in with it, it forces you to change your password or something. I don't know. But I don't like the idea of just emailing someone a password. Well, that, yeah. And I thought about that, too. And the, the problem with that is anybody could reset anybody's password, even though, even though yeah. it would just be annoying. Like you, yeah. So I, it, that's probably my favorite approach, but like you said, you're emailing the actual password. I don't know. We'll figure something. You could do a, a temper, you know, like a time delay, whatever. It's a, such a pain in the ass. Remember your passwords. That's the end of the yeah. story. Remember yeah. your remember password. Remember your passwords. If you can't remember them, write them down. Yeah. Or put it in LastPass or whatever. LastPass. <clears throat> it's an API. One it's pass. not a website. Yeah. I don't know. That's where that's where I'm at right now. I I, I can't. I think it has more advantages than disadvantages, but we'll see. So, is that it? I don't know. <laughs> I think that might be it. <laughs> Do we have any... Uh, there was a, a piece of um, housekeeping that I, I meant to mention at the beginning, um, which is, I don't know if I said it last week uh, or two weeks ago, but I was talking about dropping dropping uh, support for Theora audio files for Firefox. Yes. And uh, I tested a couple of times using mp3s as the source of the audio tag and i and uh, you know i my firefox will not play it so i'm still doing aug files but um if yeah i i tested it after you said that too and i won't either i must be misunderstanding something maybe you have to have some kind of um not a plug-in, but a, uh, or no, not an extension, but maybe a plug-in installed in your browser or something, but it's totally not clear to me what the, how it's supposed to work. So if, for the time being, I'm just going to keep making the AUG files. It's not that much of a yeah. pain. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, and you can edit it out later if you want, because it's probably stupid and pointless. <laughs> no, that's perfect. But I will, I will tell you about it anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Is it how pathetic is it that I've I've got this MacBook Air and I got this trip coming up in a couple of months mm-hmm. and I'm thinking well I won't really need a computer to do a whole lot of computing maybe I'll just take a tablet mm-hmm. and then I'm going well but I may want to respond to an email and typing on a tablet's a pain in the butt mm-hmm. so now I'm looking for a keyboard for my tablet and I'm like <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> It's like, what don't I... I'm building it's a like, crappy laptop. I'm building a crappy laptop. Yeah, and I'm just... I don't know. So I've, I've got like, a similar... I, yeah, it's like, I, I want the portability of a tablet with the convenience of the keyboard on the laptop. And I'm like, oh, I need a Surface tablet. I'm like, wait, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. So I will tell you that I've had a very similar impulse. And uh, looking into it, I discovered that... My phone, so Nexus 4, has Bluetooth, and you can connect a regular Mac, you know, those cute little Bluetooth aluminum keyboards. You can connect it to your phone. And I got to tell you, the, you know, you can type like a million miles an hour on one of those, uh, you know, it's a regular chiclet keyboard. And when you are, you know, typing, everybody knows typing on a phone stinks. Um, the swipe typing on Android and also on the Kindle is really, really good, but still, um, you haven't got a lot of, you know, the keyboard takes up half the screen and everything, but the Android phones are smart enough to, and iOS does the same thing, but if you connect a Bluetooth keyboard to it, it doesn't show the virtual keyboard. Mm. So you've got the whole screen to work with and you can even have a mouse and you can switch between applications with the keyboard. You can do a lot of stuff. 
And I, I have enter actually entertained the thought of not carrying a tablet or a computer, just carrying a Bluetooth keyboard and my phone. Yeah, well, see, I would still need the tablet because I need the larger size to be able to see it. Yeah, well, there's that. Yeah. But just like, yeah, it's like I'm building a netbook. Yeah, I, I don't, I would say try it because there is a difference. Clearly, you have the impulse to do it. Yeah. I would, so here's the thing you wouldn't just bring the air. Right. right. You're going to bring the air. You're either going to bring a keyboard and the tablet or the air and a tablet. Right. So, you know, like really for me, what it boils down to whether or not I need the the laptop is if I think I'm going to use a lot of sort of multi-windowing behavior. Right. I mean, I... I don't plan on writing any code while I'm there. I mean, I'm going to like a Ruby conference, but I imagine that's going to be sitting and listening to talks all day, and I'm not going to be doing anything while I'm writing code at the conference. I can't see that. Right. And the rest of the time, I'm going to be hanging out with friends. Yeah. Because the, the whole purpose is to go and go to this conference and then hang out with friends. Mm -hmm. If I'm hanging out with friends, I'm not going to be wanted. I'm not going to be wanting to use the computer a lot. But right. you know, I may want to check my email and reply to or reply to an email or something. Right. Yeah, so. I, I would, I would, I think it would be cool if you tried it. Like, leave the laptop at home, but bring, like, you know, one of those little Apple keyboards. Or do you already have a Bluetooth keyboard, or do you have to buy one? Uh, I do not have a Bluetooth keyboard. And do you, would it be the Nexus 7, is that the tablet, or would you bring in, like, an iPad? Uh, I'm torn on that one, too. Mm. Um, probably the Nexus 7, because I prefer using it for, like for pretty much everything right. I, I pr <laughs> if I'm not uh, you know, unless I'm drawing on the tablet like like drawing is like the only thing I use the iPad for mm. other than testing yeah. so <laughs> yeah so I mean now that I've been using seven inch tablets a lot the iPad just feels clumsy yeah the full size one yeah so yeah I, don't, I would be super interested I, I that I would do that if I uh, maybe I'll try that next. No, I almost said next yeah. time I go on vacation, like that's ever <laughs> happening. It but, just conceptually it feels weird though because it feels like I'm just building a crappy laptop. Yeah, exactly. No, I know, but the the, the majority of time, I'll, here's what I bet you happens: you never pull the keyboard out. You'll just like, so. you just go. Nah, I'll just I'll just answer the email like I'll get back to you when I'm back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just be like, meh. But uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I've got the new Nexus 7, the second generation one, and I totally love it. I love the, the size of it, even though it's kind of mm -hmm. long and skinny. It's extremely practical and useful. But that damn thing crashes. Mine just reboots all the time. Yeah, it's, I think there's something wrong with yours. Yeah, so I've been researching it, and it sounds like it is not unheard of, but there's certainly it's certainly a thing. Yeah. It's like so. it's a it's a problem, like a it's not a it's not a wide it's not a problem with the Nexus Seven in general, but there's enough or there's enough of them that you know it's kind of like the it's kind of like the issue when the first when the first um, generation came out with the um, the sort of screen lift issue, where the screen would um, on the left side was not sitting down flush That's flush right. in the bezel. That's right, I remember that. Yeah, and uh, my first one was like that and i ended up sending it back to google and getting a replacement so yeah i'm i'm already out of my two weeks but i think i can send it back to asus or something and get a replacement yeah. so yeah it's just it just seems like a bad batch came off the assembly line and i got one of them something to do with the gps or the memory uh the memory chip or whatever i don't even know it's but it's just like i'm like typing a long email and then the google logo comes up oh <laughs> <laughs> Ah, ah. So, all right. Yeah. We should maybe, probably... maybe I'll I'll get the keyboard and try it, and I'll, I'll let you know what I come up with. Yeah, it'll be. I I I couldn't do it because I never don't code. I'm like, like on the plane. That's my f if I either read or mm -hmm. code, and I'm almost yeah. always have to code the other thing i often have to do on a plane is work on slides because i'm going to a presentation and i'm not doing that on a, on a tablet yeah well but. see i have i have that issue of my my vision limits a lot of like the ergonomics of where and when i code right like i can code on the 13 inch laptop no problem when i'm sitting at the desk but if it's like on a on a 
like actually on my lap. It's too far away. You know, yeah. I can't see what I'm doing. Yeah. So. My experience is that I almost always travel with a uh, 11 inch MacBook air. I always bring that unless we're going to do the podcast while I'm traveling. And then I bring the 15 inch Mac pro MacBook pro, but I always throw a tablet in my bag, either a full size iPad or uh, a Kindle or something. And I never use them. Almost, it's extremely rare that I ever end up using the tablet. Oh yeah. See, when we were when we were on on vacation this last time, um, I got a lot of use out of the phone and the laptop and the tablet. All three. <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm not usually going on a relaxing trip. It's not a vacation. It's like uh, to a conference <laughs> or something. Yeah. And I always go straight to the laptop because I have to do enough typing or enough multi-window application type stuff that I'm not going to bother with the, because for me, the tablets are like relaxation. Basically it's like reading movies. Um, and if I'm in a pinch or my laptop battery, that's when I'll use it is when the laptop battery dies and then I'll like yank out a tablet or the phone and try and try and answer email there or something. No, yeah. give it, a, give it a try. It'd be, it'll be a fun experiment. Yes. And, you know, there are some inexpensive Bluetooth keyboards to be had, so. Yeah, sure. Well, if you get the, if you get, if you're going to bring the iPad, then you get that case one and then you'll really have a crappy netbook. Uh, yeah, I will. <laughs> like a, it'll be like a Surface tablet. Yes, exactly. But clunkier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's our show for this week. What do you say? Uh, sounds good to me. Let's go to bed. Good idea. <laughs> that sounded weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worth mentioning that we're 800 miles apart and, <laughs> and married, but not to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on that note, dear listener, <laughs> that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Schaefer. And we hope you join us in bed next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. <laughs> 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 oh <laughs>